Jack Spirito with the Survival Podcast. Welcome to an episode of Friday Flashbacks. After 15 years and hundreds of interview shows, we decided to run them as flashbacks every Friday, beginning with the oldest of them and going forward. There's a tremendous library of wisdom in all the great interviews we've done over the years, so sit back and enjoy. Whether this is your first time or even your second time around with today's episode, I'm sure you will enjoy it and learn a lot from it. And remember, you can help support the Survival Podcast and the work we do just by becoming a member of the Survival Podcast Members Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get access to over 70 awesome discount codes on products and services you likely already use. Things like seeds, cannabis products, food storage items, custom roasted coffee, and even cool stuff like ammo and moonshine stills and more. So support the show, get all your money back and more. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more and sign up. Now let's get into today's Friday flashback. And with that housekeeping knocked out as quickly as I could do it today, and I'd like to introduce Dave Wendell with Brushcraft on Fire. Thanks for being here with us, Dave. Thanks, Jack. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's Bushcraft. On yes, fire. and I actually what I actually said the first time, and then I said that as I introduced you, and I don't know why I did that. Maybe because I've been going flat out with doing video all day, um, but apologize for that. But thanks for being with us. I do appreciate it. Oh, uh, it's great to be with you, Jack, and uh, we're honored to be on your show. You have a great uh, a great show. We appreciate listening to the to the shows that you put out, and you've got some great information that people are listening to. Well, hey, man, I appreciate that. Again, I appreciate you being here. Um, Dave, you're really well-known in the, the prepper world for all the video content that you have on YouTube and your website and your you know your YouTube channel, Brushcraft, Bushcraft on Fire, right? <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about Bushcraft on Fire and uh, the skills that you teach? Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, I guess... We've been teaching Jack for about 14 years now, and until just a few months ago, it was more of a private one-on-one thing. And and I'm not just a teacher. I'm a student as well. A lot of people call themselves experts. Uh, I, I don't think that we have a place to ever say we're an expert in something. There's always something else to learn. So what we do is share some of the skills that we've learned and actually some of the skills that we're still learning at this point with people live uh, on videos via Bushcraft on Fire out on YouTube. Um, actually, Tam told me about a year ago that I should be out there putting YouTubes up. And honestly, I didn't really think that I compared with a lot of these people that put videos up that, that I wasn't quite as well versed in the skills as I needed to be. But she finally convinced me in June. We've been up there for about four months and put 126 or so videos up now. And uh, mostly the videos deal with all aspects of primitive survival. Uh, it deals with going naked into the bush with absolutely nothing in your hands, right up to uh, tools and gear. We do some gear reviews. We also do uh, all sorts of different techniques with that gear, for example, tarp usage and stuff. So those are the aspects we go. We also are are beginning to branch out into self-reliance as well, and we'll be doing more of that throughout the winter. Very, very cool. And, I mean, Dave, you do all of this on YouTube. You're, you're not, you know, holding any of the content hostage via DVD. And I, I actually think you could probably put out some DVDs and people would be interested in them. And even the same content that's on YouTube, uh, that may be something you look in the future is people like that, having the actual content in hand and like to support it. But you, you do it day to day. You don't charge anything for it. And to me what that says is you're passionate about what you're doing. You really want this information to be shared. You want other people to learn. What makes you so, I mean, to do 126 videos in a year, um, as a guy that does a podcast every day, and I do videos too, but the podcast is a hell of a lot easier than doing a video. There's a lot more editing that goes into that and a lot more uh, technical requirements. To do that takes an extreme commitment. What makes you so passionate? Why are you so willing to not just share the information but take all these extra steps to make sure that it's available to people? Well, first of all, Jack, uh, it's 126 videos in four months, not wow. a year. wow. 
and and uh, we'll probably put we'll probably put another 200 out before we we actually get to a year. We like to our goal is to put approximately five videos out per week. So we hope to have 250 or 300 videos up there by the time we hit our one year anniversary. Um, the the reason my passion in doing this is simply because I love it and. I have no specific needs, as it were. Uh, we live by faith, and all of our needs tend to be taken care of. Not that I'm averse to uh, making a little bit of money on the side. Uh, in fact, right now, Tam's working on a DVD that people have been asking with recipes. And eventually, once we get a few more videos out, we are going to branch out to the DVD area as well. So that will be available to people. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I see, Jack, is there's a lot of people out here that can't go out and buy all the fancy gear. They can't afford uh, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars and to 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 have a course. And one of the things that I got into this when I got started, there was no Internet. There was no way to learn information. There were some videos, a few videos, not very many, actually. And there were some books. And one of the people that I learned from through their books charges a lot for classes. They charge like $1,200. In my head, I just couldn't see the mentality of having 100 students at $1,200 per course and and living in the bush. There there was a schism there for me. <laughs> I I couldn't understand or comprehend that. You could get a pretty nice hotel room for twelve hundred bucks over ten days, right? Yeah, no kidding, right? And and so I do it, Jack, honestly, and, and it may sound primo or whatever, but I do this for the people. I, I really care about the people that are out there. There are people that are hungry and I realize that not everybody can afford to go to high price classes and not everybody can afford to put that kind of money so i want to get the word out to as many people as possible no i understand and that makes perfect sense and it's it's frankly why 90 percent of the time i do the show in my car weaving in and out of traffic because there's a need for this type of information i focus more on i guess you'd say survival at home and you focus more on survival in in the wilderness but i think there's a huge overlap there and i think that there is a, a tremendous need for this information and uh, a lot of it with me is i look at it and i go you know our grandparents pretty much lived this way and and, and i just really as i look out at my country and i look at all of the wisdom that we've lost i just feel like well, if you know anything about it, you need to be sharing it. You need to be putting it out there. You need to be putting yourself out there, and you need to help other people. And I just see a lot of that in what you're doing, and um, it's really refreshing to see other people with this same view, maybe coming from a different angle but with the same intent. Um, so, man, I appreciate what you're doing, and I completely understand what you say when you do it for the people. Well, we appreciate that, Jack. And, you know, you're so true in what you said that that back 50, 60, 100 years ago, everybody lived this way. You know, we've become a very fat society. We've become a very uh, reliant on other people type of society. And, and so we need to get away from that, especially if some crisis were to happen. Uh, once that a crisis such as Katrina, for example, a few years ago back in 95, uh, back in 2005 happened, uh, there was nobody to lean on, and if you didn't know what to do, you were in a lot of trouble. And and those kind of things can happen in our life. But, you know, I wanted to touch on one other thing, too, Jack. When we started, we wanted to do it for the dissemination of, of, of the viewer and the information. But our viewers uh, have, have incredibly touched our lives. Uh, we, we think, you know, hey, we're out there doing something to help other people. But the responses that we get, the trust that we get, that makes it all worthwhile. These people, uh, I think we've got about 1,700 subscribers now in, in four months. And most of our subscribers totally stand behind us. And we cannot tell you how much we appreciate them. There's, I'll be honest with you, there's times when we feel like giving up where we don't want to do it anymore, where it just gets to be too much, where some of the negative comments come in. And it's not for those people that we're doing it. It's for the people that are hungry and the people that say, hey, we really appreciate what you're doing. 
Man, I understand that 100%. And I, I recently listened to an, an interview that you did like a week ago. I can't remember the name of the, the, the website that that was on. It was a podcast. You want to throw out a plug for them since my brain just twigged out? What was the name of that show you were just on? <laughs> Jack, I, I'm going to have to go back and look at it. Um, they had called me. Uh-huh. And said said would you be interested in doing a uh, a podcast? And I said, well, I I can do that. It's Rob Davin over on Jungle Apocalypse. That's it, Jungle Apocalypse. And and you were on there. And one of the things when I listened to your interview, you talked about was how armchair survivalists are like a dime a dozen. <laughs> and, and I think those are the people you're getting the negative comments from. I. To relate this, I did a video, uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but it's on my channel, and it wasn't really a video that was planned. It was like my truck broke down in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, instead of being all mad about this and angry, it was the 4th of July, it was like 105 degrees out. And uh, we were waiting for a record to come tow the truck away before we hiked it back to uh, to our kind of our bug out location. And uh, we did a video about it, and I had like 20 or 30 people, I just deleted all their comments, they were telling me how much of a non-survivalist I am, because they didn't black out my license plate. <laughs> right? And, I, and my thought was, you know, I drive my truck through a city of 6.2 million people every day. <laughs> so, I just don't really see the point, but I know where you're coming from there, and it, it does get hard, but... You know, if you care about people, you keep doing it. Because like you said, you're doing it for the people that take the information and make it their own. And I don't think either one of us claims to be right about everything anyway. We put the information out there. We tell you the way we see it. And then you expect that the person that takes it makes it their own and and kind of runs their own plan with it, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, Jack. In fact, you know, you said a couple things real important. Number one... You don't have any privacy, so there's no sense pretending like you do. Um, I, I I saw this guy who put up a uh, YouTube about all his food and how he's storing and prepping, and somebody actually on a forum I'm on uh, went out and found this guy's. Well, the guy gave too much information. They found his address. They actually found a Google shot looking right into his garage with all his food preps there. So. <laughs> You can, you can, you can maybe make a mistake that's really, really bad, but I mean, who are we really hiding from? The government has your license plate already. They know who you are. Correct. And, uh, and so, you know, we're not here against the government. We're here to try to stand behind the government as much as possible and to just prepare if emergencies or crises would happen. And, you know, I get it when it's like, Joe Average or somebody, but you have your YouTube channel. You're out there every day. I have my podcast. I'm out there every day. For us to hide who we are just doesn't really make any sense at all as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, you're, you're out there going, hi, I'm, I'm Dave Wendell with Bushcraft on Fire, and today I'm going to teach you, and then you're going to turn around and hide who you are. That, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I wonder who these people are and what frame of mind they're in when they're thinking that that actually does make sense. Yeah, well, you have to be relatively transparent, Jack, and I think that's what people appreciate about people like yourself and myself and others that do these YouTubes. Um, I mean, we're not going to be trans. You, you don't have to know all my dirty laundry and everything that goes on in my life, but I have to be relatively transparent. Uh, we've done videos where we've shown our land and our gardens and different things, and uh, people have got to know us personally. But, you know, that's important if if they don't know us intimately and personally then do they really know us? And and that relates back to those armchair quarterbacks or or bushcraft survivalists or whatever you want to call them. You know, they hide behind a nick somewhere, and, and they're not out there. They don't talk to the people. They don't get to know the people. And uh, so people appreciate that. You know, and I'm digressing a little bit here from uh, my planned interview, but you just keep leading me to other things. And one thing, you talk about them, how they're hiding behind nicknames and they're in forums and on YouTube and all. And the one thing that's often struck me most is these are the same people that when you see them in a forum, they have things in their signature like quotes from, you know, Thomas Jefferson or quotes from Patrick Henry, you know, things like, you know, those who pr- d- desire liberty over safety deserve neither. And I'm thinking, okay, you're you're running off your, your, your text mouth, I guess you'd say, with these quotes from these great men who stood up, and then you're immediately cowering behind anonymity, and it just, I, I don't know, man, I don't, it, 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 I try not to focus on it, but it does just seem a bit ironic. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let, let's go on back, kind of, some of the things I had planned to ask you here. Um, 
I, I've watched a lot of your videos, and I'm also a big fan of uh, Ron Hood, who's been on the show, Dave Canterbury, who's been on the show, and what I've noticed is you teach a lot of different skill sets and a lot of things that, that maybe they don't teach and a lot of things they do teach. What I don't see you is teaching a lot of things about, like, trapping wildlife and doing a lot of traps. Why is that? Well, you know, you mentioned Ron Hood. Let me, if I can share just a little bit about you, how I got started in this bushcraft, would that be all right? Sure. Okay, uh, I actually am on the Hoodlum Forum and uh, have been a big fan of Ron since the mid-90s. Uh, when when we first got computers, I think 95, 96 or something, Ron had an old bulletin board and I got hooked up there and got a lot of his videos. So uh, I did learn, I, I would call Ron one of my mentors, although we never met until dirt time just this year. But, uh, you know, through his videos, I learned many skills through some books and different things. But I got involved in bushcraft because of that desire to help people. I felt that something was going to happen sometime in our society. Of course, we were facing Y2K, not in the too distant future at that point. And so these mentors became very important to me so that I could in turn become a mentor to other people. However, most of my, uh, most of my life I've been self-taught uh, through books and through different things. And I would have to say, Jack, that self-teaching is pretty much the only way. Yes, you need mentors to give you guidance here and there, but too many people go to a class, they look at a mentor, and they say, because my mentor knows it or has shown me how to do it, I now own the skill. Mm -hmm. No, you need to get out in the dirt. You need to own the skill, and you need to practice it. Agreed 100% with that. Yeah. Now, now, why don't I do trapping? (laughs) Um, Well, Ron is is famous for eating bugs in fact his his phone number used to be we eat bugs and uh and dave is really uh dave is a close friend of mine and we we agree on a lot of things we disagree on a few but uh the both of them are very heavy into animal protein Uh, i personally am a vegetarian and there's a few reasons for that and 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 so that's the reason why I don't go a lot into trapping. Now I do understand that there are other people into it. So we have done some videos for example on building primitive bows and how to set different traps and things. But personally in my life I'm a vegetarian. And so that's why I don't go big into it for myself. That's cool and and you know, I think it gives us a huge opportunity. One of the things I've gotten a lot of questions about, and if you ask me how to do this with the ability to store food or procure food from the local supermarket and what have you, I can put together a very uh, protein-sufficient uh, diet with that type of, of allotment. But what I've been asked about by my audience, and I've never been able to give a really good answer to this question, maybe it's just because since I don't have to deal with it, um, I haven't done enough research about it. But could you talk about, okay, now I'm, I'm out in the wilderness, and um, maybe I am a carnivore, and I would eat the protein if I could get my hands on it, but it's but the, the animal protein's not available because... I don't know, I'm not skilled enough to, to harvest it, or it's just a, a very lean time... Uh, or let's say I'm such as yourself, I don't consume meat for whatever my reasons for that is, how do I go out there and, living off the land, get enough protein, get sufficient protein? What things do I need to think about uh, that if I were eating you know, a squirrel uh, every other day, I wouldn't have to worry about? Sure, that's a great, great question. First of all, you know there is some animal protein out there. But as you said, Jack, there may be times when that animal protein is not available to you. And a lot of people uh, tend to, if they're a good hunter or a good fisher, say, well, I really don't need to focus on plants, and I don't need to focus on other wild edibles, because after all, I can go out there and shoot a deer, or I can go out there and, and you know, get some fish, or if worse comes to worse, I can eat some rats and grubs and worms. And... While that's true, what if that's just not available to you? Sure. What if you're in a situation where you're on a high prairie somewhere and that wildlife is not available at that point? Well, a couple of things. Number one, you have to perfect many skills in order to hunt and trap proficiently. For example, you have to know where the animals live, which I happen to know. You have to know how to make your tools, which I happen to know. You have to know where to be able to... 
set your traps, for instance, uh, different trails and signs and scats and things like that. It doesn't take a whole lot for me, buddy, to stalk up on a dandelion. It never moves. <laughs> I don't have to worry about if I make too much noise or if I'm upwind or downwind. Uh, it's it's available. And it won't and fight back. And it doesn't fight back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't have to worry if I'm out there hunting bear that the bear's going to eat me before I can get him. But but so, if I'm out there trying to live on dandelion greens and miner's lettuce, and, and I, I'm fairly good with... With, with finding edible plants in my area. But what do I do to make sure I'm getting that? You know, the, the human body needs a certain amount of protein. We, we don't need as much, I think, as we've been led to believe in, in, in Western society where one person in, in America today at one meal eats the protein that a family shares for a week uh, in, in East Asia. I mean, we can be honest about that. We're overkill, but we need some of it. So, so what things are out there that actually can get me what I need uh, without having to... Uh, to eat meat. Absolutely. Well, there are some very basic plants, and we tend, when we do our, our videos on plants and things, to put cautions up there. You need to study in order to use plants, just like you would study anything else. Sure. But there are some simple ones, Jack, that everybody knows. In fact, most people trip over. Even in a very urban uh, environment, uh, you mentioned dandelions. You know, dandelions, uh, the raw leaves are very high in vitamin A, vitamin C, iron. They have more iron and calcium than even spinach, and most people don't know that. Uh, they're also very high in protein. Uh, lamb's quarters, again, very, very high. In fact, it's one of the highest uh, wild edibles in protein, as well as vitamin A and calcium and a lot of other different minerals. And I actually love uh, to eat lamb's quarters. I actually have gone as far as I actually grow lamb's quarters intentionally in my backyard. The grain for uh, making flour, the leaves themselves, I mean, it's a, th that's something you can actually really enjoy eating. Yeah, we, we do the same thing. We, we intentionally plant wild edibles among our gardens. And, you know, I think that's important, Jack. I, I know I'm digressing here for a minute, and I'll get right back on track, I promise. But if something would happen where somebody would come in and burn our crops <laughs> sure. for, for whatever reason, or they, they just disallowed us to get any more seed that was heirloom seed, and so we had no seed, um, if I have wild edibles around, they just look like weeds, sure. you know? And so these things, it's good to know them because there may be a point in time where you're on the move for whatever reason, yep. where you're not in your home locale uh, and you've had to bug out for whatever purpose. You know, the people in Katrina had to bug out. They had nowhere to go. Well, it's good to know different edibles that go across the boundaries if you can't carry your stockpile with you. So a after that digression, I go back. Nettles is another thing. Uh, people have uh, uh, many people have heard of nettles many haven't nettles are again very high in protein uh, then you have your things like nuts and in the nuts i would also include what is called groundnut or sedges and uh, most people are familiar with acorns uh, you know there's a big four that we teach to that, that will pretty much keep you not only alive but pretty well flourishing uh, so, so many of these things, fiddleheads is another really good one that's very high in protein and are, if prepared properly, are very, very healthy for you. They're very good for you. Uh, cattails, chickweed is another one that's very high in protein. Uh, wild garlic or wild onions. And, and again, these are things that people literally step on in their backyard because they don't know that they're there. Mm -hmm. And and they go out. It, it's funny because we go to the grocery store and we spend $150, $200 a week. Some people are much higher than that. And we buy all these foods that are prevalent right in our backyard if we would only take a minute to go out there and look for them. You know, and the uh, wild garlic is another one of those things. I think if you haven't tasted wild garlic, you almost don't know what garlic really tastes like. Absolutely. I remember when we were we were hiking in the wintertime in Arkansas one time with the most with my wife, and we found you know all the grass is dead because it's it's too cold, and there's this little clumps of wild garlic everywhere. So I started pulling it out and showing it to my wife. Well, we cleaned some of it off, and she she was eating it like it was candy, 
and this is a person who it took me a while to get her into this stuff. You're lucky with 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 Tam, and she's into this stuff. Like I had to like really force it, but this was one thing that like the smell alone made it palatable. It, it, it's it's a it's an amazing thing sometimes to think the stuff that's that's just sitting there if we would just look for. Absolutely, and we're very blessed. Uh, you know, our whole family is pretty much involved in bushcrafting. We do it together as as it's it's not even a chore. It's fun. We just enjoy it. I mean, we live in the middle of nowhere, and so we live in bushcrafting. But you know, one thing people don't understand is that we tend to buy all these things from the store. They they're been leached of their vitamins, their minerals, and the wild edibles have much more in them than the things that we would buy at the store as well. You know, and my understanding is that let's say that I even I'm buying organically grown green beans, right? And But they're organically grown in California. And the guy that grows them does a really good job. And then they get picked and then they get shipped out here. And it's been maybe four days, right? And they were really a good product when they were picked. But they spent four days in transport, two days at the store. Then I go buy them today and cook them tomorrow. They Even if they had a good nutrient profile, they've been extremely depleted. But if I grow those in my backyard or if it's a wild edible and I harvest and cook immediately, I lose almost nothing, especially if I eat it raw. I lose almost nothing of what was available, you know, straight out of the ground into the plant and designed, honestly, to be consumed. <laughs> and, and you know, you said this guy grew it organically in California. To my understanding, if it came out of California, it's no longer organic anyway. <laughs> <laughs> because they're they're going to spray it and then it gets waxed and everything else to make it look good and have a shelf life. So, yeah, it's it's much better if we can get back to the uh, to the ease of it. You know, you you mentioned Dave before in his trapping. When Dave was here, we went out to California to dirt time and he stayed at the house one night and we were just talking and chewing the fat a little bit. And he looked at me and he said, "I'm going to put you on the spot." He said, "You have nothing around to eat except the squirrel. Will you eat the squirrel?" And I said to Dave, I said, Dave, what's the squirrel eating? <laughs> that may be the best answer to that question anybody could ever come up with, because a squirrel cannot survive on oxygen alone, right? He has to have something that he's consuming, and I think a squirrel's actually something we can learn a lot from. Um, I'm actually working on a book right now on managing land for squirrels, as obscure as that sounds. And what I've learned is that we think about squirrels eating nuts, and they do, but nuts aren't available year-round. And a squirrel, if you watch a squirrel, he'll show you a lot of the things that you can eat. And almost, and I say this carefully, almost everything a squirrel can eat, you can eat. And there's one that, thing you can't. And squirrels will eat a, de- a destroying angel mushroom, and it won't kill them. And mm-hmm. I don't know how they pull that off, but I've seen them do it. And you don't, definitely don't want to eat that mushroom. But just about anything else a squirrel eats, we can eat too. Yeah, let me put this disclaimer in here. As as much as we love wild edibles, and we actually did a video on a fungus that we picked up. It wasn't a mushroom proper. It was actually a fungus, which is a differentiation there. Uh, we stay away from mushrooms, and we tell people to stay away from mushrooms because it's just too much risk. Mm-hmm. In one of his videos, as proficient as he is, Ron Hood accidentally ate the wrong mushroom. Wow. Uh, he was He was gathering some morels and ate a false morel with it. And he got very sick, and uh, he kept it on the video, hmm. but he got very, very sick. And, and mushrooms are a good thing to stay away from. But, you know, Jack, when you look at most of the foods that most people eat, and when I say that, I say cows, uh, sheep, uh, deer, elk, any of those kind of foods, which are the most prevalent of the meat foods that we eat in the United States, uh, Ask yourself what all those animals live off of. Sure. Not a one of them are carnivores. And so, you know, I, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's a personal choice for me. I don't push it on anybody else and I respect other people for where they want to be. But, uh, but it's good to at least have your eyes open to the vegetable and the wild edible aspect out there because there are so many things available. That's why I call you a tolerable vegetarian, because some of them are not so much. But I'm actually with you. I'm big on eating uh, a, a large amount of vegetarian matter in my diet. I just, I, I love meat. I 
not going to give it up. Uh, but I get the other side of it. And with that kind of moving on, I'm huge into gardening and permaculture. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm most known for. And then on top of that, I do something absolutely insane crazy because I'm growing fruits and vegetables and nuts and all these great things. And then I go out of my way to actually do additional things to attract wildlife to my property uh, that are actually, I mean, always sooner or later, they're going to consume some of the food that I had set aside for myself. But to me, the system's not complete if I don't bring wildlife in. And what I found is my gardening, my permaculture efforts, uh, my wildlife attracting efforts, they bring me this kind of a centering piece, and they also bring me a lot of knowledge. And I, I've heard you mention things like that. What, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, Jack, I'm a spiritual person. And uh, people are either on one side of the fence or the other on, on this issue because there's no real middle ground. And I, I get a kick out of uh, Tam actually did a video a long time ago, one of our one of our very early videos, and she mentioned something about in the Bible it says, mm-hmm. and it was talking about a woman being clean or unclean uh, during her time of the month, and so we got a lot of negative response from some people, and and again I believe these are the survival armchair survivalists, you know, yeah, because how dare you preach at us? Well. You know, she didn't preach. <laughs> in, in all honesty, whether or not we want to admit it, we're all spiritual creatures. And and so there's something special about getting out into nature. And there are, on a lot of different levels, a, a spiritual aspect to it, as well as a real... Uh, aspect of learning. You said earlier, you know, the squirrels can teach us what to eat. What the animals can teach us an awful lot. And if we watch the animals, they'll teach us where water is. They can teach us what foods to eat. They can even teach us how to build our shelters. Um, they, every lesson that we can learn can be learned through nature if we can quiet ourselves down when we're out there. And and nature and quietness of mind tend to go hand in hand. Uh, you go out into into the bush for a day, two days alone, and you're screaming to get back to society because it's driving you crazy how quiet it is out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. Yes. Did you? I don't know. Did you see the latest uh, edition of Wilderness Way magazine? And there's a guy that writes for them, Sig, and I can never say his last name right, so I won't butcher it. Um, but he was talking about how we mislead ourselves with survivalism and primitive skills, and I'm going to live all by myself, and that if we actually wanted to follow the ways of, of, of the, uh, our ancestors, then the, our ancestors didn't live out in the woods off of you know, rocks and sticks alone. They created communities out there, and they were able to live off the land communally. And, and they had, everybody had a job to do. Everybody had a function to do. And part of your, 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 your growing up was to figure out how you could best serve your community. And when I read that, I thought, you know, this is kind of the gaping hole in a lot of these, um, you know, television survivalist, I guess is, is what you would call it. Um, hold on right there. Um, <laughs> technical difficulty. Anyway, um, th- th- that's kind of the gaping hole. That we don't see the fact that people have always been dependent on each other. People have always desired to be together. When I first started doing my podcast, I would talk about how society broke down. Immediately following that, I would talk about how it would put itself back together. And people would say, why are you such an optimist? Why do you think society would put it back, itself back together? And it's because that's who we are. That's what we are. If we took 100 people and threw them on an island, and assuming we gave them enough knowledge and food to survive for you know a six-month period before they had to really live off the land, I think if you went back... Back in two years, you'd see a thriving community. Maybe a few of the jerks would have been kicked out. But you'd see people with different jobs and different hierarchies. There'd be children there. There'd be new families forming. I mean, don't you think that's the way that, I guess, we're kind of hardwired as humans? Absolutely. And, and you know, Jack, you mentioned these people that are thrown on an island. Let me tell you, the ones that would survive are the ones that understand there's a spiritual aspect to it. The ones that didn't survive or that didn't have a spiritual aspect, they'd be the ones to come and stab you in the back in the middle of the night and take your food because they were 
at the five month and, and 29th day thing. Mm-hmm. And so, so these people, I think the ones that are going to die in a major crisis, let's, let's say that there is really an end of the world as we know it type scenario that goes on. Uh, these people that have no touch to the spiritual aspect at all, and I'm not saying that you have to follow my particular persuasion or that you have to follow any particular persuasion for that. That's your choice. But I really think that these people will suffer. You mentioned the natives before. The natives were an incredibly spiritual people until the white man came in. Then they tried to change them to their way of thinking. We don't believe in changing people to our way of thinking. There's no necessarily right or wrong way. Whatever path you're on and what way works for you is the right way for you. That may not be the right way for me. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because we're each individuals. That's an extremely great way to look at life, especially for somebody that's a pastor. And, and I appreciate you saying that because, I mean, my views and your views are similar and in extremely different. But there's a spiritual grounding. There's an understanding of what I call universal law. You give, you get. What people call it karma. People call it the golden rule. I don't care what you call it, but if you look around at the way things work, you see it. And I think when we take time to go out into the wilderness and we touch the land and we feel the land and we, we see an immediate response from it or we grow a garden and we, we, we take something that looks desolate and lifeless like a seed and we place it in the ground and we, we care for it and it becomes life and it sustains us. We reconnect with that and I know we're segueing a little bit but this is important because if we want to talk about surviving then we need to know what the heck we're surviving for. Why are we going through this? If there's if there's no spiritual component to life, then why do you care? <laughs> That's right. And and you'd be surprised, Jack. You said that we probably differ very greatly on some things. I, I you may be surprised. Oh, that'd be cool. We'll we'll go into that at a later time. Let's let's keep things running here, though. Um, I know that you really focus on bushcraft and you know primitive skills. And you see, a, but you also do see a lot of value in, I guess, what we would call in the modern scheme of things, prepping. You know, why is that? What are the things out there today that you're most concerned could interrupt our daily lives? Well, there's so many aspects. We already mentioned the end of the world as we know it scenarios. In reality, that may affect us. I mean, if there was something that came overhead, um, an EMP or something, it, it would certainly turn our world around. And we have grown again. I, I mentioned earlier that we've become very dependent on other people. We've also become very dependent on things like electric. We've become dependent on things uh, like somebody else coming to fix something for us. You know, prepping and and self-reliance is what I refer to it as. It goes so far into so many things. We put a video up the other day, something I had never done before. and And I actually did it really wrong. But my supporters were uh, were very kind to me. Um, I, I put some tile up underneath of our wood stove. I, I should have done it two years ago now that we did it because it's increasing our heat outsource and everything else. But we put some tile up on the floor and on the wall. And it was something that I learned to do as I was going. We got the job done, but as I understand, I didn't use the right tools. And mm-hmm. I might have mixed things a little bit differently than other people. But you know what? Through it, I learned and I became a little more self-sufficient that I don't have to hire somebody to come do my tile and grout. I, I We came out here on our land uh, about four years ago. We've built our entire place out here by hand. I'm not a builder. I'm a pastor and a bushcraft instructor. But the lessons that I learned from this helped me in my bushcraft, and the lessons that I know from bushcraft helped me to learn how to do this. So prepping is really, really important not only for the skills that you gain, but also for the attitude. I, I have an attitude, Jack, that I can do anything if I have to. I may not do it the same way somebody else does it. It may take me a few minutes longer. I may do it a little different uh, and and not be quite as compatible with their way of thinking, but the job still gets done, and it gets done to the place where it's it's acceptable. So we've got to learn how to do these things. There was a great quote. I don't remember who said it. I believe it was Walden, actually. This said that if a man wants to be a man, or it could have been Benjamin Franklin, a man wants to be a man, he needs to do. And he gave this whole list of things from changing a diaper to wiring an electric outlet 
to to everything else, you know, and that's so true that we need to not necessarily do everything ourselves, but at least know how to do it if it's not available at us to have somebody else do it for us. So prepping, when, when people say prepping, you know, all all that they think about is putting away some food and some water. Well, that is just the very surface of it. That's like the tip of the iceberg. It's real easy to go copy can. Ron and Karen have coined the term copy can, and we use it. We You know, we buy extra every time we go out mm-hmm. and buy a little bit extra and put away. And, you know, having water available uh, and, and doing these things, that is just the tip of the iceberg. What good does it do to have water and food available if you don't know, for example, how to fix your wall if a tree falls through it? Gotcha, gotcha. In, in a storm, you know, so prepping deals in a whole lot of things. I, I agree with you completely there. Kind of on that note, I'm going to throw one at you. I listened to that interview I mentioned you did earlier, and you were asked about bugging in or bugging out. You said some things I completely agreed with, and, and you said some things that, that maybe I don't agree with because you didn't really have a definitive answer. So since everybody else didn't hear this interview, I'll, I'll speak for you, and hopefully I'll get it right. Um, you were asked, you know, should you bug in or bug out? And basically you told the guy, if you have to answer the, ask the question, you should probably bug in because that means that you really probably don't know what you're doing and you have a lot of things that you rely on and what you think is going to be available to you isn't. And then on the other side of this, you said basically if things get bad enough, you're going to bug out. Now I'd like to bounce off you what I believe is the definitive answer to that question and, and see what you think of it. And, and this, is, this is how I've always answered that question. The name of the game, even though I hate to use the term because it gets overused, is survival. It's it's continuing to live and to have a life with some level of liberty, passion, and happiness in it. So when you ask me that question, my first response to you is, well, what's the problem? And what I say is, whichever decision is going to make me more likely to survive that individual situation, that's the answer. And so there's always a definitive answer, but we don't know what it is until it comes up. Absolutely. You know, when I was speaking to Rob the other day, uh, I mentioned living in the now, in this moment. And uh, perhaps I wasn't clear enough in that interview, so let me clarify right here. I'm going to bug in until there comes a point where it is to my advantage to bug out. And again, the reason for that, Jack, we have everything we need here. We're used to our lifestyle. We have shelter over our heads. We don't have to go out and have any quote-unquote hardship in a crisis situation. So as long as possible, absolutely mm-hmm. bug in. But there may be a point where your sub- survival, where your subsistence, whatever it is, depends on leaving. At that point, leave. Sure. Uh, it, it's a one day at a time thing. You have to live right now. And part of living in the now is saying what is coming into my life at this moment that we need to address. And once we address it or how do we address it, then get on with it. Do what you need to do. I think you're dead on. And I only brought that up because I wanted to give you a chance to say all that. And I, I wanted people to hear it. I also think my other question to people is whenever they ask that question, it's like, and, and let's face it, it's a classic forum, discussion group, bunch of guys getting together. It's a classic question. My first response to that when anybody ever asks me is, I, as I say, well, if you did bug out, where would you go? Absolutely. People have no place to go. Uh, people that do have a place to go, uh, or people that have scouted out some areas, people that have, and, and I get a kick really, you know, people bring in, I don't know, six tons of food for their house. And they think they're somehow going to be able to carry all this with them when they leave. <laughs> or, or else they go and they bury some food along the trail. And that's all well and good. I'm, I'm for those things actually. I'm not against them. However, what if you get to the place where you've planned on going and, and an advanced scout situation, you go out there, you look. We have a family of ten, so we'll all be going together, you know. And, and by the way, that's one of my reasons for staying bugged in. We have age ranges here from I'm 50 all the way down to Becca, who's five years old. That's a really big age range to try and take out into the bush, to keep quiet, to have everybody do whatever is necessary. But if we have to, we know how to do it. But what if we go on an advanced scout situation? I go out there. Or my son goes out ahead and he comes back and he says, Dad, the place where we've chosen, which we have three places right now, 
the place where we've chosen has 40 people sitting there. Exactly. Or there's black helmets sitting over here at this location or whatever else. What do you do now? You better be able to improvise, adapt, and overcome. And I I think the other thing is a a person like you would answer that question, bug in or bug out, a lot different than, let's say, a person like me lives in the middle of Dallas-Fort Worth. Now, I would now if things get bad, where I think that my situation's threatened, we're we're leaving. I'm getting out of here, and I and I don't have a problem with getting out of here. But then I have a place to go. I have a rural location. It's well stocked. At least six months of sustainability there. But honest to God, my place that I'm gonna bug out to is an awful lot like the place that you live in every day. Absolutely. So everything's no. fluid, right? Right. We live 50 miles from the nearest large town. The town that we live in, well, we actually don't live in town, but the town that we get our mail from uh, is, I think, 1,300 people. The next closest town has approximately the same. And the closest large town, which is Springfield, Missouri, uh, I don't know exactly. I think they got about 50 or 75,000 people out there. It's, it's not a real, it's not St. Louis or Dallas, Fort Worth or anything. That's 50 miles away. So so we really are already in a bug-out situation because we're way out. <laughs> sure. And and um, But, you know, Jack, I know where your bug-out place is, and that's one of my first places on the list. <laughs> well, come on down. We, I, I'm 10 people. You better bring some stuff with you, but we'll put you up. Oh, um, we'll bring plenty of hunger. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... I, I think that there, there's a lot of, of, of wisdom there, and I think one of the things that you could say is, well, I'd bug out, but I already did. Exactly. We bugged out about four years ago. And that leads to me even to my next question. A lot of my listeners live in a rural area like you do, but a ton of them live in urban centers, and they're working toward the day they can do their big bug out. My big bug out's planned for spring of 2010. I'm out of here. I'm done, and whatever I can get for this place, I can get for it. And hopefully, it's a little more than I owe, and I'm and I'm out, and I'm gone, and, and I'll be in that same situation. And I grew up with that situation, so I already know what it's like. But could you talk a little? You live on like you got like five acres, kind of a mini farm, going to get some animals there. How much different is your life today because you made that choice, and how satisfying is that choice now that you can look back? Jack, our life is totally. 100 percent more than 100 percent turned around when i married tam uh she was in canada i bought her out of canada we moved all 10 of us into a little two-room place while we were looking for a place and then we got a place in wilkesbury pennsylvania we bought a house that was rather inexpensive fixed it up and uh, we we all lived there for about five years. It was not the happiest time of our life, but it was a necessary time. And it was a time for us to grow, to build our dreams and stuff. Now, I want to say this for your for those of your listeners that live in an urban environment. You think that you have to have this, you have to have that in before you can make that move. Well, our house doubled in its value because we got it at an extremely ridiculous price, and we paid it off in three or four years, you know, got got right out of the debt of it. And then we turned and sold it for a pretty good profit. So we had a good amount of money, and we thought that's what it was going to take to get to our land. Well, with everything that happened, I, I won't go into how, but we lost everything we had. Uh, it was something happened underhanded. And every penny that we had was lost. Now, here I am with 10 people that, that I am responsible for, and we literally had just a couple hundred dollars left to our name from $40,000. And we were planning on coming out, building our home, doing this and doing that. Well, you know what? The Father provides. We talked a little bit about that spiritual aspect. And so we came out here with absolutely nothing. We were blessed to find a piece of land. We have about 5.2 acres uh, the gentleman was good enough to carry the mortgage for us. And that's more likely than not likely, actually, if you're getting out into real rural environments. People will tend to do those kind of things for you. Uh, we were actually able to uh, make a few adjustments that we had to make. But you know what? With nothing out here, we're far more happy than we were with all the big bucks that we were making in the city. Tam and I ran a telemarketing room. And uh, we we were making pretty good money. I, I I'd, I'd much rather be here right now, 
And uh, it, it is just the best decision we've ever made. And I would encourage those that don't think that they can do it to start to make plans at least. Because there's a way you can get it done if you really want it. That's dead on, man. I've always said two things. One, plan for it. And two, shop. Shopping's free. And what happens is you start looking at rural land, and you start seeing what's available, you start seeing how much it costs, and all of a sudden you, you'll start to find some things that you go, man, I can really see myself living there. That crystallizes kind of a vision for you. And at that point, you start to stop saying, like, I hope I can do this someday and start going, well, i got to get this done and i got to figure out how to do it. And as soon as you start answering, asking that question, there's answers there for you. But until you start asking, you're not going to see the answers if they hit you plumb in the face. Sure. The answers are inside. You just need to ask the right questions. Now, you, you hit on something there with paying off things early. I hate debt. I despise debt. I see it as one of the slavery chains of, of modern, modern mankind. I, I think that it's done irreparable harm to our nation at this point. I think that the most dangerous thing about debt is slavery is it's a slavery that people walk willingly into. And if you explained it to them in advance, they'd say, oh, I'll never do that. Uh, but when they start seeing shiny things, they do it. So I have been just hammering on people to get out of debt. I've gone so far as to call debt financial cancer and say that when you look at a person living on debt, they look like a, a person that's living with cancer. They might look healthy, but they're dying inside. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, to all your British listeners, you're spot on, brother. Uh, <laughs> you know, debt debt is one of the worst things that our society has come up with. And again, the reason people get into debt is because they buy beyond their means. And I talked a little bit about that earlier, you know, about a teacher who would charge X amount and make millions and millions of dollars a year and say they have a bushcraft mindset. Well, Living beyond your means is detrimental to a bushcraft mindset, and likewise, the vice versa. If you get a bushcraft mindset, it helps you not to live beyond your means anymore because, you know, if we couldn't have a house here, we couldn't afford to build it, we'd be just as satisfied to live in shelters. In fact, we do sometimes, or to live in tents or, or whatever. Logically, Jack, debt costs you far more than it's worth. Uh, I, I actually saw a commercial one time. The guy said if you had, I forget, I think it was $5,000 of debt, that by the time you paid off the minimum payments, uh, it would take 11 or 12 years to get out of debt, and you would have paid something like $35,000 back. That's crazy. It is you know, crazy. I, I'm not interested in giving away my money. Some people say, you know, well, if we have an end-of-the-world event, let's just go into as much debt as we can. Because it won't matter anyway. The banks are about to fall. And you see people doing this right now. There's all this talk of all the banks folding, mm -hmm. of the dollar collapsing. So what's it matter if we get into debt? Let me ask you a question. What if we don't have an end of the world event? Exactly. What if you all of a sudden wake up tomorrow and you're $40,000 in debt and the banks don't fold? Correct. You or know, even if so everything crashes, that doesn't mean that sooner or later we're not going to put it back together enough where they're going to come and want their money. And take whatever you do have in absence of the funding. That's correct. And you know, as a pastor, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't address this scripturally. Uh, we're we're warned in the scripture not to get in debt. That it, you you said before it breeds a slave mentality, and uh, we have a lot of slaves in this country. A lot of a lot of survivalist people that are involved in bushcrafting call it a sheeple mm -hmm. kind of mentality. We just follow along what everybody else says and what everybody else does and just run down and whatever they tell you do. Uh, you know, you can't be a slave to somebody else. You, you've been put here for a reason, and that reason was not to be somebody else's slave. So I, I would highly recommend that if people are in debt, they, they need to get out of debt. Uh, no matter what it costs you to get out of debt, do it. And, uh, you know, if you just start, can I can I give a real quick, like one minute here? Yeah. Okay, I actually counsel on debt in the ministry, and the easiest way to get out of debt, let's say you've got a 500 a 1000 and a $5,000 debt. If you take everything you can except for the minimum payments and a couple extra dollars every month and pay off that $500 debt, then all of a sudden you don't have that hanging on you, and then you can apply that and whatever you were applying to that to the next debt. You can get out of debt in, in just a few. We had one lady actually that applied this to her life, and she had $74,000 of debt that she got out of in less than a year. 
you're 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 uh, to 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 nail you as a preacher preaching to the choir here, brother, because we talk about that very methodology here all the dadgone time. That that's exactly how to get out of debt. I usually give props to Dave Ramsey when I talk about it and say he didn't figure it out, but he made it famous by marketing it well. And, right. and it's 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 exactly true. And if you if you look at the way most people think about getting out of debt, right? They talk about it and they say, "Well, I pay a little bit of extra on everything." Well, you're taking your power and you're dividing it up. When you do the things you just talked about, you're taking all of your power. You're picking one problem and you're focusing on it. And as soon as you eliminate it, you're you're increasing your power, and then you just turn that like a laser beam on a problem too. And from what I've seen on studies on this. People, no matter what their income level or debt level is, within seven years, they've not just paid off their debt, they've paid off their house. Exactly. And, Jack, that's the exact same mentality you have to have in every area of your life, including bushcraft. You know, if I'm out there and and I need this, that, that, this, and everything else to, to get comfortable or to get situated for the night, I need to have priorities and I need to focus on one thing at a time. I cannot go out and get firewood and go over here and build a shelter and pick food all at the same time. Sure, sure. So you have to sit down and you assess, you know, based on your needs and priorities, which one's most important. You do each one first. And if you don't, you end up dead and cold. I mean, that's that's the reality. It's harsh, but the thing about the bush and the wilderness is they don't care if you don't like the results. They just give you the results. That's right. Get along with it. Learn how to do it and, and go with the flow because that's the way it's got to be. You know, you got to prepare. Dave, this has been an awesome interview. I want to give you an opportunity to plug whatever you got. What are some ways people can connect with you, uh, work with you, uh, find out more about you, what, what's out there, what's available, and I'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes as well. Okay, well, if you're going to put links up, Jack, you can put a link up to our website, uh, com, and you can go out there. It will have a section in there. If if it's a spiritual person, we have a spiritual section, but you can also link over to our YouTubes. You can also link over to our bushcraft section of our website. Uh, but the easiest way for people to, to get a hold of us right now is just to type bushcraft on fire, not brushcraft, but bushcraft, B-U-S-H-C-R-A-F-T, on fire in their browser, and you will come up with about 10,000 hits. Every one of them will be us. Uh, YouTube is, is, uh, you know, Bushcraft on Fire is our, is our nickname out on YouTube. And we have all of our personal information on our homepage there as well. So people can link back over to the website. On our website, we have our personal home phone number up there. If anybody has any questions or our emails up there, feel free to email us, give us a call. We're really here for the people 24 hours a day, whatever we can do for them. And I can tell you right now, folks, you're going to get a lot out of uh, Dave's videos. Uh, so make sure you not just go check out his YouTube channel. Please subscribe to it. Uh, do me a favor and do that because I think you'll be doing yourself a favor. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. Dave, thank you for joining me tonight. I really appreciate you being here. Jack, thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed getting to meet you out at, at uh, dirt time, but... Getting to talk to you over the few weeks that we've had here and, and over this interview, it's good to get to know you a little better. We, we've got an awful lot more in common than I think you do. Than I think you think we do, brother. I think we do too, man. Um, I, and I also want to say uh, it's been great, and I, I think we're going to have people who are going to want to have you come back on again. So can I book you in advance to come back and do some more of the show with us? Absolutely, Jack. Anytime you need, let me know. Great. And, folks, with that, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. And, folks, you know, take the things that you've heard tonight to heart. Learn from them. Expand on them. Um, make them your own. That's the big thing. Dave talks a lot about owning the skills. Uh, I talk a lot about owning the plan. Take those two worlds and put them together from what you've heard tonight. I say this all the time, but here's the reality. If I tell you what to do and I tell you how to do it and I tell you how to put it together, It'll never work for you. It'll never impact your life in the right way. It'll never be something sustainable after 2012 comes or the pandemic doesn't happen or whatever it is you think you're preparing for. If you don't make them your own, I'll be buying your stuff for half price on eBay. 
But if you take and you make this plan your own and you slowly, methodically work through a process that leads you to a way where you're living your life better if times get tough or even if they don't, that'll stay with you for the rest of your life. You'll be debt-free for the rest of your life. You'll be prepared for the rest of your life. If times get tough, you'll be able to handle it. And if times don't get tough, you're going to be happier than the people around you that have lulled themselves into a false sense of happiness and into a debt slavery. And that's as blunt as I can put it. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko and Dave Wendell with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Well, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Survival Podcast Friday Flashbacks. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider becoming an MSB member. Just go to thesurvivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. You can also support our show by going to TSPAZ, that's T-S-P-A-Z, TSPAZ.com. Anytime you shop online, and while you'll support us no matter what you buy, you will find over 500 reviews of items I have personally tested and vouched for. And to stay in touch with us and never miss anything... Follow our channel or our group on Telegram. You can find links to that and all our social media options. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and check the show notes for any episode.